Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Build Muscle and Burn Fat podcast. You can see that I actually have a new setup now. I've got a new microphone, so hopefully this is testing out to be quite well. It's just a small little thing over here. And I hope it actually leads to a lot more product, you know, production or productivity uh, to make things easier because now I can just film, pop this camera on and transmit. Um, good thing about this podcast as well, or should I say good thing about this microphone is it comes with two. So if I ever needed to put someone else on the podcast, which is obviously one of the goals I have for 2023, um, I just attach it to the person. And well, to be honest, you probably would have heard the previous podcast to this one where I had my wife, Nancy, share her amazing story and her transformation across 2022 for her Fit by 30. And truly just such a inspiring story. And if you haven't listened to it, I just can't recommend it more. Um, I guess the best part of it was it's also news to me because I never really pushed my wife to do it. She chose to do it too. But um, right now, I guess I want to share a bit of a insight of today's um, podcast and this today's episode. I had an interaction with one of my followers on Instagram and essentially it was a bit of an interesting one because it was almost a bit of like a mix of stubborn and a mix of curiosity and a bit of education. And I thought to myself, I'm going to share this with you know, anonymity as well, keep the person anonymous so that you can learn from it. Because these mistakes that we talk about are also mistakes that people like you might make, you know, becoming a little bit beginner in the story. But even for someone like me, this becomes common sense to me because I've been a trainer for 12 years. I've been you know, exploring bodybuilding for years and powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting and performance based. Now I'm more so wanting to specialize in this field of helping the general person out there who can try and work things across, you know, their work, their life, their personal life, wherever it might be. So I'm going to you know, basically get straight into it now. So I'm going to call this person Tim. I have nothing against Tim, but um, a lot of it came across as you know, I don't want to learn. So hopefully the lesson that you'll learn from this is find out where you can get great information and don't try and reinvent the wheel. So let's give you a bit of a backstory. Uh, Tim was messaging me because he wanted to know more about bodybuilding. And for myself, you know, I used to compete in bodybuilding, used to hang around in those circles. I may not specialize and prep people for bodybuilding anymore, but a lot of my concepts come from this area. And basically, with I'll break it into more detail later on, the training style of Tim was not optimal. To break it down, every day, um, Tim would only do some body weight based exercises, maybe every hour doing 10 or 20 push-ups. And this did lead to, say, 20 kilos worth of fat loss or 15 as well, getting down to as low as 62 kilos. And from there, Nutrition was also um, a non-basis, which is something I kind of measured and I wanted to measure and find that baseline. And it was a matter of just eating when hungry. So this person, Tim, did lose quite a lot of fat um, and quite a lot of muscle at the same time. And I'll go through that a little bit more. And when asking about more about bodybuilding, I said, well, we need to try and change these concepts because, you know, just like I said, there's no point reinventing the wheel. I didn't invent these rules. These are rules and 
guidelines that people have done over the years and perfected over time. And even saying that as well, these are also factors that people will always try and teach from mistakes. And that's for me as well. So Tim's goal, once again, wanted to get into a bodybuilding competition, wanted to win the bodybuilding competition. Training was just every day, ad hoc, every hour doing 10 to 20 push-ups. And then on top of that, nutrition was not measured, just eating when the body felt like it needed to. Um, got good results in the sense of losing 10 to 15 kilos. Leanest person has, sorry, leanest that this person has ever been wants to win a competition. So as I was starting to you know, dig deeper, essentially I found three mistakes that people need to work on. The first one I'm gonna talk about is the training program. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about what we call progressive overload. For every single person out there, if your program does not address some sort of progressive overload, you're already faulting behind. You're not going to make much progress more because that's what progressive overload is. To give you a bit of a backstory, this is how I learned progressive overload. Um, it was a Greek mythology, because like most things, that's how it happens. Uh, Milo of Kratos, if I'm not wrong, he was a young kid who had a pet calf. Now this pet calf was something that he carried across time. Now at first it was quite light, because the calf is also a kid, or a, a cow kid, I guess you could say. Milo was also quite a young teen, and he would just carry his calf across his shoulders and walk. As time got by, his calf started to grow into a, a bull, if I'm not wrong. Milo also got older too, as he started to carry his bull across his shoulders. As time went by, the bull is now fully grown, but also so did Milo. And Milo has now progressively overloaded or progressively grown as the weight or the load of his cow, or should I say his bull, also grew too. So this is what we want to try and teach to every single person. It's called progressive overload. It's teaching people that you do eventually need to increase the weight, but doing it slowly and progressively in some sort of shape, way, or form. Now I'm going to show you what the formula is for progressive overload. And that's the FIT principle, F-I-T-T. -T. So you can increase how often you do an exercise. That's what we call frequency for the F. So if you're lifting once or twice a week, you're now gonna be doing it three to four times per week. The next one is intensity, and that's to be not mistaken for how intense it is, but we use this interchangeably in the sports science world as weight or how heavy something is. So if you're lifting something for 10 kilos, um, you can now progressively overload it to 12 and a half kilos. As time goes by, this will be the main principle for Milo and Kratos. Go 15 kilos, 17 kilos, and 20 kilos on top of that. As time goes by, you get stronger. You won't feel the so immediate impact of going from 17 to 20. But say if we skipped from 10 kilos to 20 kilos, that's called an acute increase. And we don't recommend that unless it's planned. And we have other ways to do that. Won't be in today's episode. Last two are time, so how long you start lifting for. So maybe you're only doing it for 20 minutes, now you progressively overload it to 45 minutes. This can be also broken into sets and reps as well, might I add. So this is where it's a general principle that we can use for cardio-based movements, but knowing what we do on this channel, of course, and this podcast, I do highly recommend that you're doing strength and focus on nutrition. 
unless you absolutely need to be able to get fit for a certain reason, like you're a 5K runner. So sets, reps, time, and duration will fit all under that first T. And the last T is what we call tempo or tension. So this can also be interchanged to uh, type. So you can change the type of the exercise, but I like to use it as tension because tension is also a really strong way to get stronger and build muscle. So if you're lifting to a three second down tempo, you're now going to increase it to a five second down tempo, or technically you could reduce it down to a zero second tempo and your weight would increase too, because as tensions start to decrease, your weight will also increase too. So progressive overload was something that Tim had actually failed to address in his program. So doing 10 push-ups every single day would not be able to, or every single hour of the day, would not be able to help elicit the strength gain that you would need or the muscle gain that you would need. It may work for a very single, singleized individual. And even though this is one thing that people always make the mistake of, is confirmation bias through results. They think that correlation equals causation. So I did 10 push-ups every single day for every hour and I lost 10 kilos. Yes, it did work, but it wasn't because of those push-ups. It's because of underlying external factors and that happens to be the reason why. So if you don't know what causation and correlation means, it's thinking that, you know, there's a joke that actually happens in the statistics world, is that if you had a bunch of uh, scientists and they were looking at frogs, they said jump, the frogs jumped. So then what they did was they cut off the frog's legs, they said jump, then they didn't jump. So they came to the conclusion that when you tell, when you cut off the legs of frogs, they become deaf because they no longer jump. And that's what we mean by correlation and causation. Because it is so doesn't mean it is so. So now we want to address why we want a certain amount of progressive overload. It's called a stimulus. And like anything, if you think about it this way, if you have some sugar, like one teaspoon of sugar, and you have it across you know, six months, you won't be able to taste that anymore. So you increase it to two scoops of sugar, or two teaspoons of sugar, two tablespoons, whatever it is, I don't have sugar. Then you start to get the resensitivity of having sugar. Now, maybe for these guys out there or ladies as well, you're listening to this, have you ever weaned off caffeine and then stopped having it? And then the first time you had caffeine again or a coffee again, it really hits you really strong. That's called desensitization to the stimulus or to caffeine in this sense. So if you were doing 10 push-ups every single hour for a set period of time, your body adjusts to that. And that is now called the new normal. This is why the program that Tim was doing isn't going to be able to be progressed anymore unless we changed it. But Tim, you felt like your program was more superior. So let's start talking about a little bit more things. The next thing was the exercise variety. Because if you want to be able to build muscle, apart from intensity, frequency, tempo, and you know, time, we also need to have more variation because now we're talking about building muscle which has fibers that run across the body. Now fibers move from different parts of the body from you know, diagonals to straight, there's all different types of you know, fiber cross bodies and I had to learn them all when I was in uni. 
But to actually get through them, you need to make sure these exercises address the line of pull. So these line of pull muscles are going from you know, up and down, left and right, or wherever it might be. But only doing push-ups would only address one line of pull and also only one angle of a certain exercise of a muscle. So if you're looking at the push-up, yes, we're working the core muscles. Yes, we're technically working some of the chest muscles and the shoulder muscles. And yes, we're technically working the triceps. But we're only addressing it in that one motion that this push-up can do. Because we know that, for example, the triceps has three heads. And doing this only with the push variation of the push-up, you are working the medial tricep, but you're neglecting the long head of the triceps by going overhead. So exercise variety becomes such an important factor. And this is all the things that people don't realize when I write programs. I'm addressing different you know, pulls and movements and tensions and tempos because everything starts to come into phases. So very commonly, I will write my first phase to be what we call the accumulation phase. And the accumulation phase is when you address a lot of tempo, high reps, and exercises that don't get into close to failure. We don't want to be failure at this point in time. We're gonna be maybe one or two reps short of it, three or four reps short of it, but doing lots of sets and minimizing those reps, once again addressing the fit principle. Then we wanna to start to address all those pulling movements or exercises that you may not hit towards the end because as fatigue starts to build up, that's another whole story I might add, but fatigue is not a bad thing. It's just when the recovery or when you don't out-recover your fatigue, that starts to accumulate and other things start to happen in your body because your body needs to find its normal again, which is trying to build that muscle, which requires a lot of rest. So this program was also not addressing any sort of exercise variety, more so just doing push-ups, 10 of them every hour, wherever it might be, neglecting legs, neglecting abs, back muscles, and also just addressing the back muscles themselves. There's so many layers, and we're talking about upper trap, mid trap, lower trap, lats. There's so many back muscles that need to be addressed that push-ups cannot do alone. And you would need to introduce at least four to six different types of pulling movements throughout your week. Now the last part as well is the nutrition. And after that, I'm going to talk about why this person, why this person was able to actually get the results that they did, despite it working. Nutrition was poor because there was no, any sort of measurement. And I tell people out there, if you cannot measure it, it cannot be managed. It's guessing game. Yeah, it's kind of like going into the, the, um, the kitchen and just chucking a whole bunch of stuff into the pan and hoping it tastes good. And wow, that's great. What'd you put in it? I'm not sure. How can you recreate it again? Mm, not sure. We still need some sort of baseline. Yes, you may have a really good feeling, but these feelings are always gonna be related to how much you can get that baseline and build up from there. And even with the greatest people who have trained for a long time, I'm still trying to find out more information through my training and what I can gather from the information that I've gathered as well. So let's talk about that nutrition part. So Tim here was saying that he would only eat when the body was required. There's a few things to address about this and there's a lot of information, so if you get lost, that's okay. Didn't plan to go into this depth, but I kind of want people out there to understand what actually goes into you know, nutrition coaching and actually writing these programs. So first off, if you don't know what your basal metabolic rate is, this is the amount of energy that your body requires at rest. You'll wake up, open your eyes, lie in bed all day, that's your basal metabolic rate. 
It could be 1,000, it could be 1,200, 2,000 calories. It varies from each person, each age, training age, um, genetics, there's so many factors. So we can take a guesstimate of it with a lot of formulas that we have, equipment that we have, but there's only one way to know it, and that's to test it. Then on top of that, we also have what we call the TDEE, Total Daily Energy Expenditure, or daily expenditure first. This is how much energy that you need to carry out through your day. So if you're walking you know, 500 meters down the path and coming back, then you have your basal metabolic rate plus whatever that is required to walk those 500 meters. But now we start to talk about training on top of this, recovery on top of this, you know, talking to your kids and your partner and your people at work, that you have to commute, maybe you have a laborious job. These are all factors to take into consider of this um, basal metabolic rate your daily expenditure, and we combine it together, and that makes the total daily energy expenditure. Then we start to accumulate for, or accommodate for, your training goals on top of that. Now your training goals, to be honest with a lot of people, the training itself doesn't actually require that much energy. It's what the stimulus is or the adaptation that you're looking for afterwards. That requires the most amount of energy. Recovery actually takes so much energy that people don't realize which is why we don't tell people to try and build muscle when you're trying to lose fat. It's too counterintuitive. It's very hard for you to focus on one thing or another. So now that we know some of these base numbers, Tim did not know these. He just ate when he felt like. So if you ate when you felt like, and some people, if you keep yourself really distracted, having caffeine and filling yourself up with water, this could be as low as 1,000 calories. So what does that mean for your body in a physiological sense? Your body is now going to be using all the storage it has. It's looking at your fat stores, which is why this particular person, Tim, was able to lose body fat. Then it will start looking at your muscles and go, wow, I'm gonna take more of that. Now, I don't show, I'm not sure how much longer we were went to the point where the body starts to burn out because you're training. Not that hard, to be honest, and you're only doing you know, 10 push-ups for every hour of the day that you're awake but eventually you start to just wither away. And that's where most people go wrong. But most people think that correlation equals causation and that's how it is. So now let's start to address how would I fix this for this particular person? So first of all, we need to try and find out how many days this person can train. And if you're looking to train to win on a competition, being tanned and naked, half naked, should I say, on stage, then we wanna get as much muscle as possible. We want to spend quite a bit of time in this muscle building phase in a surplus, probably gaining roughly around three to four kilos, six or even as much as five to six, depending on each of the person's normal weight, and then just maintaining that phase. We then we want to work on the progressive overload factor of getting stronger across time. Now, I'm not saying get strong to the point where you lift your failure and snap your back. That's not what we're looking for. That's just poor exercise management. We're looking at exercises that actually push you close to failure and we need intensity to do that. Now, for those of you out there who don't know how to push yourself to you know, build that muscle and that adaptation, we don't have to go all the way up to failure, which is what we call zero reps in reserve because you can no longer do any more. We only need you to go too short from that. So two reps short from failure, we'll call that two reps in reserve. Makes sense, right? Because if you did those last two, you'll be at fail. Just only be two less than that then we start to find out how this is going to make changes on the body. So now we're gonna try and see what the body looks like with the set amount of calories that we've got 
or at least a meal plan that can help with this. Then we start to see the factors. And this is what people don't realize. This is all a very cool science project where you control one thing, you keep it the same and see what happens and you make minor adjustments. What goes wrong in this phase is either information is miscalculated or not told correctly to your coach. <laughs> we know when it happens. Or B, when people stray off the program, which makes no sense to me because if you hired someone to help you with the program, why would you stray off it without communicating? You may as well just do your own thing. You're wasting your time and you're wasting your coach's time too. So at that point in time, the discussion was, Sean, can you help me with this? Now, to be honest, because of the discussion that we had, I said no, because the hardest thing to do is teach someone who doesn't want to be taught and thought that they had to work with the program that they only have. 10 push-ups a day for every hour that you're awake is not gonna cut it. Not willing to be able to go to the gym. I mean, they wanted to win the competition as well, might I add. And I always tell people, even I don't work in this field anymore, but I think there is a lot of people out there who would vouch for me in this field, that if you're out there to win a competition, might I add against people who've done this for years, the external validation does not actually mean much compared to the internal validation. I'm talking from experience in multiple place, places of my life, but I did do a bodybuilding competition. And at first I was like, yeah, I wanna win, I wanna win. But there's just crazy amounts of things that can happen in this type of field, but in any sport as well. Someone's trained longer than you, someone's just been exposed to it a lot better than you. Some people have crazy genetics, or some people just absolutely just outright better than you. So then you have to try and look for that internal validation that's gonna make you happy about it. And it's the accomplishment, honestly. So hopefully that was some information for you guys out there. I would love to talk about you know, muscle building mistakes as a general factor, but this particular case study, or this particular interaction, should I say, kind of got me like thinking, first of all, why would you ever question someone who's done this for a long time? But B, also refusing to learn, so I thought, you know, at least I can use this lesson to teach people out there. Because the worst thing that you can do, and I see it all the time, is when you have people who want to be able to help you, and I've had even had you know, consults in the last two, three weeks, where people tell me they know exactly what they need to do, but they've gained 35 kilos in three years and still drinking six or seven beers a day. So to know and not know means, or to know and not do means to not know. So what I want people to understand is always go in with a white belt mentality. Even me, after 12 to 13 years of doing this, paying hundreds and you know, up to thousands of dollars for courses on learning how to build muscle. It's a lot of information and it's things where I'm like, okay, I may have known that, but it's good to get external validation to understand what it means. Funny enough, I talked about external validation being incorrect, external confirmation through research, I say, um, knowing that I'm on the right page to help people for the better mission. And also saying that if you ever do embark on any sort of health mission and journey, you wanna keep doing it. Choose sustainability more than anything. And once again, I'm talking from experience. I've hurt my back, I've gone through extreme diets through bodybuilding, I've gone through performance-based sports, which I love, might I add, and I don't regret, but knowing when to sacrifice time for something that may potentially hurt you, that's something where I don't do anymore, and that's why I'm training the sustainability way. 
So hopefully you guys, you find this information useful. I hope you guys don't burn out. Don't just spin your wheels. Really start to think about what you want out of this because I mean, that's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. We're trying to do this for yes, you know, feeling good, looking good, but also we're also doing this for the health factor. And if you don't have that, that motive to want to be healthy, this whole journey becomes a lot harder, which is where a lot of the people that I train end up going back to their own, you know, bad habits of buying takeout six or seven times per week, drinking excessive amounts of alcohol all the time, might I add. You want to be able to change. You want to have to change as well. Or you don't want to have to. You want to want to change. And hopefully that will help you out. Guys, if you listened all the way through to the end of this, thank you so much. I would love it if you could please screenshot the podcast, post it on your Instagram stories and tag me. If you haven't already, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or on um, Apple Podcasts. I wanna grow this channel and right now as I share this, I actually am on 154 podcast plays, which is making me happy because it means that under just over 30 days, I've been able to almost outgrow my YouTube channel, which means that people are listening to this. So that means a lot to me. So share this episode too, if you have anyone who you think would benefit from this. And um, that's what I can really say and stay tuned for the next episode. Take care and keep building momentum. Take care, everyone.